0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Digital Dive podcast, a conversation about tech. My name is Darsh and I am one of your co-hosts.
1: My name is Jacqueline, I'm your other co-host. In this week's episode, we discuss our thoughts on right to repair, iPhone 13 leaks, new concept laptops, and a $100 million creator fund from YouTube, plus a lot more. Roll the intro. All right, Josh, so you sent me this laptop earlier this week. I was mind blown by it. It's an Acer Concept D7 Ezel, maybe? Yeah, Ezel. Okay. What do you think?
0: Okay, so basically, how I'll describe it is basically looking at the Surface Studio. It looks like an easel screen, pretty much designed. Or even if you look at the new iMacs, in the sense that it kind of is a floating screen held by a hinge, able to swivel up or down. So it's pretty much a laptop with that same kind of form factor. Now, Acer isn't, they aren't new to the scene when it comes to creating or to using cool new concepts for upcoming computers. And the Acer Concept D7 easel is no different. Now, one thing for sure, though, it has a very large name, but in terms of design and stuff, this is an amazing-looking laptop. It looks so futuristic, and the fact that it's—I believe it's also a touchscreen—just makes it even cooler. Jacqueline, what are your what are your thoughts on the design for this?
1: I can't believe I mispronounced the word easel. Sorry. I I don't
0: even think easel. I don't even think easel spelt like that. I figured out it would be easel because it looks like an easel. Like I imagine that's where they're going with it. Because if they weren't, then like what would they be doing?
1: Okay. All right. I feel a little bit better. Yeah. No. The design is really cool. We're seeing kind of more devices like that. The Surface devices you just said. Mm -hmm. I kind of though question how big of an impact it has on being a better form factor, because one of the big compromises is that it's really heavy and heat management is not as good like the CPU, according to Verge, kind of gets hot, like it runs warm. Mm-hmm. So I question like how valuable it is to have this new form factor with those two main disadvantages.
0: Honestly, so one of the cool things about this device that I kind of wanted to bring it up with the podcast for, and Jacken and kind of just touched on it, was more so the idea of form factors when it comes to computers, because I feel like we've been stuck in this specific type of form factor for so long. And, and everyone I feel like who listens, and if you don't already know, I'm a huge advocate for using iPads or using like tablets to kind of get work done, like basic, basic work. I think this is a really cool introduction and showcase of what different types of form factors in the laptop market could be. Because something like this, for example, I believe could be really useful and good for a designer because it has an easel. So the easel, I haven't actually used this device, so I can't speak to its durability, but I imagine if it was a pretty stiff easel or hinge, you'd be able to adjust it so that you could use the screen with its Wacom capabilities, its Wacom support. So you can pretty much start designing in Photoshop, you can do edits in Illustrator or whatever it may be to get some really cool designs out. So that kind of like kind of sparks a question for you, Jacqueline, like would you ever think of to use a device like this if you wanted to, I don't know, get something really cool done in terms of like Photoshop. Say you're trying to take a Photoshop course, would this kind of be like a device that would kind of intrigue you?
1: Maybe, but I'm actually not amazing in Photoshop. I do very simple edits, like masking or adding text would be maybe a little bit less useful for me. I could see it being useful for Luke maybe. Mm -hmm. He does a lot of stuff in Photoshop Yeah. or Joe. By the way, I think I've been mispronouncing his name. Pretty sure it's been. Joe, not Gio. But I think that he would like it too, right? Because he does a ton of the thumbnails for my channel and other channels and he like is very precise with masking. So I feel like a form factor like that that's more flexible could offer huge advantages for precision.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like one of the big criticisms when it comes to this laptop in specific is the fact that you're right, it is very heavy. Because it's very heavy, it would be kind of a harder thing for you to hold in in the palm of your arm or like in your arm to kind of cradle it and use it to draw. But I think it'd be really cool if you had it in a cool desk setup or something like that because it does have Wacom support, meaning that it have a very sensitive display. So when you use the pen or use a Wacom supported pen, you can pretty much use, I think it was a thousand points of pressure or something like that. On the screen, you have three different modes to use it. And you have the pad, the tablet mode, the float mode, which is basically the screen facing forward and the keyboard is right below. You have a stand mode, a sharing mode, so you can flip the screen and you just have a normal clamshell mode. I think you also have a display mode as well. So it it seems like it's a very versatile device. It it really did stand up to me. But Jacqueline, are there any form factors when it comes to laptops that you you think would be something cool to see or to kind of be brought into the wild in this next in the next couple of years?
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like remote learning is here to stay in some capacity Mm -hmm. just because universities and schools have realized that it's a great thing to have in like hazardous weather conditions or if you can't make it to the building, which sucks for students, obviously, because there won't really maybe be as many snow days and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But because of that, I think there's an opportunity for a device to be oriented towards teachers that need to write on screens like for math teachers or something. Yeah. So having a diverse form factor like that Where the screen can swivel is huge. Having the pen support is huge. So I think that there's an opportunity for like remote teaching laptops, like that specific genre. But then I also think there's an opportunity for other form factors. As we get into more foldable phones, like maybe eventually we'll get a rollable phone or something that can convert into a mini laptop. The possibilities for five years down the line, I feel like, are endless. Mm-hmm. The technology has to catch up with our ideation, basically.
0: Yeah, honestly. Like, one of the things I saw, I don't know if you, I've been on TikTok so much in the past week. I literally haven't been on YouTube. I've literally been on TikTok for a week. And, like, it's the only so- one of the only sources of like social media I've actually been on. Wow. The funny thing with TikTok is on the certain for you page where I get these random product suggestions from Amazon and what of them happened to be a projector. It, it looked almost like a um, holographic Keyboard, Bluetooth keyboard. I don't know. Have you seen this before?
1: I think so. Where like it's like a laser and it projects it onto a service. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah,
0: exactly. So I always thought this would look really, really cool. If like, what if a company was able to embed that kind of technology into a screen and instead of the screen having a keyboard, it was just a flat mat. Hmm. And this little projector projected onto the mat or even better yet, the mat was removable. And so you have the mat for when you're on the go, but if you're not on the go, then you project it onto like any surface. That would be a really, really cool concept idea for a laptop and any company who wants to use this, go for it, just you know, credit me or <laughs> give me some monies. No, I'm joking, but it would be a really cool
1: idea. I just ordered the new iPad Pro. Ooh. Yeah, I'm stoked. But I wonder if there's an opportunity there to kind of create a laptop form factor where you can slot in a tablet when you want like the laptop form factor and an extra screen, like kind of like how Apple has sidecar. Mm-hmm. Like if they, someone could create a chassis that puts the iPad Pro like on the bottom like where the keyboard would be instead you have the iPad pro there. And you can kind of like use it as a second screen or a keyboard. And then also like write and draw and stuff like that.
0: Lenovo actually came out with a very similar product to that years ago.
1: Interesting. And it went over the keyboard.
0: So no. So basically what it was, was effectively a dual screen, like a screen as the, it was a clamshell design looked like kind of like the surface duo actually. Okay. But the bottom was a capacitive Touchscreen where that was dedicated only for the keyboard, and it was a really interesting design because it was like a it was a touchscreen keyboard in the bottom. As much as I think it'd be cool to see an iPad in that kind of form factor, like I didn't like that kind of capacitive keyboard as much. I mean, an iPad keyboard's a lot better. Trust me, I use it every day. But I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's interesting because I feel like we've there's been a lot of really cool form factors that's been tried out in the past couple of years. But I don't know how many of them will actually stick. Like I don't know. Like if I want touchscreen, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Actually, like touchscreen keyboards, I'm all for it. But I know a lot of people aren't as about it mm-hmm. it's kind of sad because i really want to have a projector screen keyboard like or like a touchscreen keyboard i think that looks so cool i'm
1: like not about it because we talked about it well like months ago with like the potential for a Mac to have a slab for the keyboard yeah i like the tactile touch mm-hmm. i definitely hate typing on an ipad so i'm personally like not for it but I could see how some people would be. It's interesting because, like, you type a lot, obviously, as a student, so you'd think that you wouldn't be down for it, but I guess you kind of just get used to it. Like,
0: that's the thing, like, like, I feel like I'm a different type of student, though, because I'm, I'm, like, a really big, like, tech... Anything really in the tech space gets me really excited. Like, I know my roommates, for example, they probably wouldn't want a projector-style keyboard. Mm-hmm. I, however, would love one, because I think that would be the novelty of it makes it so cool to me. Like, I only have a mechanical keyboard because I think it sounds really nice, and it's, like, ASMR. Oh,
1: so you don't actually, like, enjoy typing on it? No,
0: I enjoy typing on it, but I feel like I'm faster on on my normal mac keyboard
1: wow interesting yeah i actually no, i agree with you because i used to have a mechanical keyboard and then i went back to just like the chiclet style apple one and i'm definitely faster on that mm-hmm.
0: It's also like you're used to it too, right? Like it, you've been using it for so many
1: years. Yeah. Cause like I'm going right from the MacBook Pro, which has that to then my desktop. So like the keys are in different places when you're on a mechanical keyboard. Like obviously everything's just like shifted a little because it's a different form factor. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Apple keyboard stays a little bit more consistent. So you don't have to like re-get into the habit of like hitting the shift key without like knowing where it is. I don't know though. It's, it's kind of interesting to see that there's so many innovations in form factors in so many different arenas. Obviously phones are a big one with foldable phones and rollable phones. And Apple may create something like that in the future, but it seems like right now, the next flagship iPhone 13, some rumors are starting to come out, some leaks, and it looks like it's just going to be a regular slab, but some innovative stuff, possibly promotion, possibly new camera system, possibly a bigger battery. What do you think about all the rumors and leaks that are starting to come out now in May? Mind you, the phone probably won't be coming out until September, October, or November of this year.
0: Okay. For one, great transition. Really liked it. <laughs> cut. And for everyone who didn't know. So like the iPhone 12 has been out for almost a year now. It has been, oh, not even almost a year. It's been, been what, like eight months now?
1: Wow, that's a long time. Yeah, I
0: think it's, I think we're going in on eight months now since the iPhone 12 came out. And now we're we're closer to the iPhone 13 release than the iPhone 12 release. So there's a lot more actual rumors that are now available. So I'm gonna break them down for you guys in a, in a list format and then we'll go back and we'll kind of do a little bit of a deep dive afterwards. So one of the cool rumors is that the iPhone 13 might be getting a bigger battery. Also promotion, as Jacqueline mentioned, and better cameras as I guess we can expect as it's been year to year and potentially no ports. There's also a slightly thicker and larger camera bump like rumors as well that have been reported on Mac rumors. It's really interesting. It's really interesting to see where this might be going. So in terms of the battery size, it seems like the iPhone 13 is looking at getting a bigger battery because they want to make the iPhone 13 last even longer. So for reference, CNET reported a battery test of 15 hours and 56 minutes for the iPhone 12 Pro and the iPhone 12 lasted 17 hours and 14 minutes. And that was a battery test for with a looped video playing in airplane mode. So that's just like literally as much juice as you can crank out of it for the most part, which is really, really interesting. But it seems like Apple seems like they want to include a bigger battery, which also could be a contributor to the bigger and thicker form factor that was rumored on Mac Rumors. Wow. I was out for a week and literally I just can't speak anymore. It's weird. Dude,
1: I was not out for a week and I'm also struggling today. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm going to blame it on allergies. I'm just going to say seasonal allergies. You ruined ruin everything. You
1: know what? I don't even have that to blame. I've just been out of it. Last episode too, as I was recording it without you, I was like, this is so rough. Within the first two minutes, I made probably like 15 mistakes and I was just like, oh my gosh, Luke. I promise it's gonna get better, and it did like get a little smoother after that. But I, it was just brutal, and I also had like no accountability because it wasn't like we were on a live Zoom or anything. So I like procrastinated recording it and then I was on my phone. So I'm glad that you're back this week.
0: No, honestly, I, I know I know the feel. Like I love doing the podcast. Like don't get me wrong, but I feel like if I had to do it myself, I, I wouldn't have any like I know I'd have to do it, and I would do it, and I'd sit down and do it. But I wouldn't be as driven to do it because I don't have anyone holding me accountable to actually make me sit down and do it. It's like one of those things. It's like you want to do it, and you're really excited to do it, but it's like you never want to put in the time to figure out when to do it. You just know you want to do it and you have to do it and you're just like trying to find like a time where like, okay, yeah, like I have I have a spare like couple hours right now let me just do it. For sure. But having a partner means that we, we keep each other accountable. We plan out the time in advance. We set that time aside so we make sure we do it. Yeah. Which is honestly really good.
1: And also like you and I are also like we have to get the episode to Luke by Wednesday, right? So exactly. So we have to Record and honestly, I think that's why we've been so consistent because we post every single Monday, exactly. And I'm so much less consistent with YouTube videos. And I know that like podcasting is a lower lift; like it's probably only five to ten hours of work a week. But being on the schedule and knowing that we have to get an episode out on Monday, like definitely, really does keep us accountable.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. Speaking about accountability, iPhone 13 is looking at a really, really accountable, reliable screen. Now, nah, I'm joking. Pretty much every year, there's always a rumor that promotions come into the iPhone. I know,
1: dude. Every year, like
0: literally every year, and as much. just, I want to say that it's going to come this year. Like, I honestly don't know.
1: I don't know either. If
0: it does come, this would mean that we'd be seeing probably a screen with ideally 120 Hertz refresh rate. But it seems like there is a chance for a higher level screen because it seems like a lot of other companies are coming out with really, really fast refresh rate screens. Like Asus launched the ROG Phone 5, which has a 144 Hertz display. And the Red Magic 6 was announced with a 165 Hertz screen. I would imagine Apple might come out with something like 145, 150 as well. But that is a little bit of a stretch because still haven't even seen them do that maybe 120 iphone 13 I think that would be really cool. Jacqueline Do you have a preference when it comes to using high refresh rate screens? Like I think I brought up in the past I personally don't really care that much with my phone as much as I would on my laptop or on my tablet like my ipad But what are your thoughts on high refresh rate screens on phones like smartphones?
1: Yeah, I mean I love them Obviously any like good tech that makes a difference in quality is like for me within reason, obviously, I think 4k displays are a little not that smart on phones, but I hope that we see it. I, I don't know if we're going to the other thing that happens every single year is a rumor that iPhone is going portless every single year,
0: at least for the past couple of years. Yeah, it's yeah. been it's been like a really like
1: the last three
0: since they got rid of the the headphone jack. Like it's like, okay, so like the next thing Apple wants to change in the industry is ports. And
1: who knows, maybe this year, obviously, with the introduction of MagSafe, that kind of added fuel to the fire because people are like, oh, okay, that's just going to be the way that we charge our phone. Obviously, there's also always the rumor of USB type C. People are constantly speculating that Apple's going to do that, but I kind of feel like they're going to go portless and not do USB type C. I don't think that they're going to make people like change to USB type C and then go portless. I just think that it will be like they go portless.
0: Yeah. Like I don't think it's going to be USB C first. I think what they will do with USB C, however, is the same way that now lightning, the USB C cables are like included in all the new iPhone boxes and the new iPads. I think that's something that we could look at. The future of the cables that do come with the iPhone's like, there has to be some way to charge it. And I think that MagSafe is going to become that way. I think MagSafe might be, I don't know if they're going to make it smaller or what they're going to do with it, but I think MagSafe is definitely the future. And if it comes down to that being the portless solution, I think that it's going to be MagSafe cables with USB-C at the end of them. It's no longer going to be USB-A. Yeah. And I feel like that is a cool direction that we're headed in as well, because that just means everything's going to be fast charged. Like the amount of times I use my iPad charging brick with my AirPods cable to charge my phone just so I have fast charge, like quick charge, it's incredible. It saves my it saves my butt every time I forget to charge my phone.
1: I love fast charging. Also, though, I would much prefer Apple do USB Type-C to MagSafe because then it's like a universal cable. Mm-hmm. Like it sucks that MagSafe is proprietary. You couldn't charge your laptop with it right now, at least. Who knows if they'll eventually bring that over to Macs as well. Pretty cool. Right, and the iPad Pro has USB Type-C. So kind of a bummer that it seems like the iPhone isn't going in that direction. But do I think that they're going to to go portless this year, I would say like 50-50. I would actually
0: say, yeah. I think it's 50-50 this year. I, I wouldn't say it'd be 100%.
1: Oh, for sure not. There's a huge chance that they don't do it, but I also think that a 50% chance that they will. They're obviously like setting some things into motion with MagSafe. They're never really afraid to like take a step that isn't popular in the moment mm-hmm. if it leads to their end goal. But my end goal right now is getting a cold brew. Ooh. I think that we should take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the $100 million YouTube Shorts funds and kind of like where we see short-form content going. And then, of course, Right to Repair. It's been in the news a lot. Obviously, Apple has been a focal point of that, and... Kind of just our thoughts on that, plus breaking down the situation for you guys. Short form content... Kind of a big deal now. Obviously, TikTok put it on the main stage, but short form has been a thing for a long time with Vine. And even before then, the culture on YouTube was definitely shorter clips. Like there would mm-hmm. be like caught in a riptide or something, and it would be like a 20 second video posted to YouTube and it would just like blow up or a cat doing something funny or like Charlie bit my finger. Mm-hmm. Like short form content has been a thing for a long time and it's because it gives you like a really quick dopamine hit. You see the title, you're interested in it, and you click it. But what's really interesting about TikTok, I think, is the algorithm. You don't even make the choice to click it. You just, are provided video after video after video, which keeps you on the platform longer, exposes you to a lot of diverse things. And obviously it's working, right? Because you're kept on the platform for an hour scrolling through, you don't even realize. So YouTube saw, that TikTok was super successful and they're launching a competitor and they have been for months called YouTube Shorts. It's been kind of rolled out in a beta form, but officially this week, it now has a tab on the YouTube mobile app, which is kind of a big deal instead of trending. And they just announced an $100 million creator fund where they're basically going to like subsidize creations on the platform, kind of like what TikTok is doing on their platform.
0: Honestly, it's insane to see that like YouTube's actually trying to like pick a fight with TikTok in a sense. Snapchat, YouTube, two unconventional, I guess, social media media platforms, in a sense, going after TikTok. Like, I feel like TikTok's main competitor happens to be something more like Instagram. But YouTube was like kind of a little far off from it, but now it it still kind of made sense. Snapchat doesn't make any sense, but nevertheless, they're all kind of going at it and they're all trying to create these short funds because something I actually learned in school, I think in first year, was the idea of snackable content. I feel like I talked about this in the past as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's
0: basically content that's snackable. It's not a meal. It's not like a movie. It's not like a TV show episode. No, no, no. it's snackable. So it's quick, high quality, good content content that gives you that dopamine hit, literally which what Jack was like, it gives you that dopamine hit really quick. And then boom, you're happy. You got your content and it's addictive. It's like consistent, just quick, fast content. Like you're getting your laughs, you're getting your, your knowledge, whatever it may be. And it just, it's so much more enjoyable. So seeing YouTube actually do this, I think is really, really interesting. I don't, personally watch YouTube shorts and most of them from what I've seen have just been repurposed TikToks. Mm-hmm. But the fact that YouTube's pushing to like actually support these creators is really interesting because I mean, no offense to YouTube, but like, I feel like they've always kind of been out to like, they haven't been the most helpful to the smaller creators as of late. But from what it seems, it seems like anyone who can use their algorithm and get a large amount of views can start getting paid for these kind of content.
1: Yeah. Also like, so just two quick things on this. The first one is Snapchat's doing something similar. They're giving a million dollars a day out right now. So there's a huge opportunity for creators on all these different social media platforms. But also I've actually been watching YouTube shorts, like something will just get recommended to me. And then you just go down the rabbit hole of like swiping to the next one, to the next one. And because I don't use TikTok, I did for a little bit, but because I don't use TikTok, it's kind of my, my experience with short form. I can waste more time on YouTube shorts than I can on regular YouTube because on regular YouTube, I'm constantly making a decision of what video to watch next but with YouTube shorts just like with TikTok you're not and it kind of like learns who you are so it shows me a lot of like lighting behind the scenes and music videos from like musicians that I like and things like that so it's kind of good in a way but it's also so much dopamine like there definitely is something to say about like overstimulation and like attention span shortening and things like that from an ethical standpoint and just like human condition standpoint I don't know if short form content's the move because it's like you're constantly getting stimulated every like six seconds and the other thing that also this, before I pass it back to you, Darsh, is like it's also harder from a creator perspective to be successful with short form because even if you accrue millions of views, your connection with your audience is very different than your connection with an audience that watches 15 minutes of your videos versus like six seconds. And that's, I think, why we see a lot of TikTokers have trouble converting their audience on TikTok to YouTube or other platforms. Oh,
0: 100%. Honestly, actually, the only place I've been able to see TikTokers kind of bring over their audience has been from TikTok to Instagram. And I feel like that's just because TikTok and Instagram kind of go hand in hand very. Very well, Yeah. In terms of the fact that like Instagram offers the pictures for the most part and TikTok provides the videos. Even though Instagram does have its own video services, multiple of them, by the way. They have reels, IGTV, and what stories? Like basically enough video opportunities for people. But anyway, I know people and I've seen people who have blew up on TikTok. Like I'm talking like have gone to, like 40,0, 50,0 000 followers with like millions of views on videos, like tons and tons of support, but they aren't able to really transfer that to long-form content because the people who enjoy watching their content, they prefer the quick, easy to get to stuff stuff. And that kind of has me questioning the longevity behind short form content. Do you think this could be, this is a question I feel like for everyone. And we're going to start doing more Twitter spaces, everyone. If you guys aren't, if you guys haven't already been on our Twitter spaces before, this is a huge plug for it right now at Digital Dive Pod. We'll be doing Twitter spaces more coming very, very soon, but we will be having more of these conversations with you guys, stuff like this where we don't want to ask you guys real questions. Like I want to ask you guys right now, do you guys follow any TikTokers in long form mediums? Have you followed charlie d'amelio from tiktok itself and then followed her youtube channel i believe she has one i personally don't follow it or dixie d'amelio how she transitioned to youtube
1: those people are pretty successful actually they're definitely the exception to the rule certain tiktok creators are so popular that people like them for who they are and they're kind of like a traditional media celebrity where like people just want to watch because it's them so they'll get like 10 million views a video or 1 million views depending on what it is but it's harder to convert if you're like a middle tier creator or if you're a big creator but like people are only following you for your dance videos or you're just not like the top of the top but also I think your point about like is short form sustainable I kind of feel like short form content is here to stay because of what we said with the dopamine hit but I don't think that the same creators that are creating short form now are here to stay like the TikTok algorithm and YouTube shorts does not care about you as a creator. It just cares about giving the person on TikTok or on YouTube the best video to watch. Mm-hmm. So like when I'm watching TikTok or YouTube, I don't really care who the creator is. I just want to be entertained. Yeah. That's different than long-form content where like I'm watching because it's Emma Chamberlain or I'm watching because it's Marquez Brownlee.
0: Yes, exactly. If you do watch TikToks or any of these short-form content, do you find yourself transitioning and watching more of the stars you found on TikTok or people who are just blown up who are trying to start out like YouTube channels, for example, Like I have a couple of friends who've done pretty good on TikTok and they've started to try to move their content over to YouTube. And I feel like it's a little bit less than ideal because you're not able to bring as many people over. Say you have like 600,000 followers, for example, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't be able to bring over all 600,000 of them, maybe bring over 10,000 of them if, if you're lucky, which is still a pretty low conversion rate. But my question is just that, like, are you going and following your favorite TikTokers on YouTube or are you sticking them in the platform that you found them in? I know for me, like I'll follow some of them on Instagram, but I won't follow any of them on YouTube. Same here. Mostly, I feel like that may also just be because we're part of a very specific niche of tech and also high quality videos. And- most of these creators are trying to create videos for the first time so they're not necessarily the highest quality mm-hmm. so it's more like you have to be like a diehard fan of them like I think there was the Herberts uh, a Herbert family on TikTok it's like a husband and wife and they'd done TikTok for so long pranking each other now they've started a family channel on YouTube and I think it's 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 really interesting because they weren't the greatest when it came to like the video quality or anything like that but them as people they're really really nice people they seem super cool and their audience is diehard like moved from TikTok to YouTube I'm pretty sure they hit a million subscribers in the first like six seven months something like that yeah. converted completely from TikTok. Wow. But there are other ones that I know who have gone from 600,000 followers on TikTok to maybe 5,000 on YouTube.
1: And there are other creators that I know also that like I discovered first on YouTube like Ellie Zeiler. Mm-hmm. I was watching one of her videos and I had no idea that she was a TikToker and I went to go follow her and she had like 100K on YouTube. I was like, oh my God, like I just discovered like the smaller creator and then I went to go follow her on Instagram and she had like 2 million. I was like, damn.
0: Insane, right?
1: Yeah, like you definitely get a different audience of people that watch on different platforms. Same with like a podcast how our audience audience that listens to this there's some crossover with our YouTube audiences but there's also a lot of people that don't watch us on YouTube Mm -hmm. that just like podcasts so yeah I mean it's super interesting to see the last thing I think we should say on this topic before moving on to right to repair is that there's also other monetization options on different platforms like this feels like the year and maybe the decade of platforms paying creators directly and platforms enabling monetization directly like in the app so Twitter just launched tip jar which is basically a way for people that follow you on Twitter to give you money and the one caveat here to know that I want to mention is that there's a privacy issue right now where if you enable this but then someone pays you via PayPal, they actually get your address. So be careful with that. And the last thing that Twitter is doing is tickets. So for Twitter spaces, you can make it a ticketed event and then you can make money via that as well. It's,
0: it's really, really cool. There's
1: a lot of opportunity.
0: I think actually the entire Twitter space is selling tickets to go see it. I think that's actually really, really cool. I, I just think it's really interesting because it's, it's kind of like turning Twitter into more of a, I, I want to say like live streaming platform. Like it's kind of like Periscope in a sense, but like mm-hmm. paid. It, it's interesting. I don't know. I feel like Twitter's tried a lot of different things with this entire live conversation and like interaction with your audience. So I'm really excited to see where that goes. But something that's actually been in the news this week, as Jacqueline's already mentioned, is the right to repair. For those who don't know much about it, Jacqueline, do you want to explain it to the rest of us who don't have a really, really super, super in-depth grasp of it?
1: Two things here. This topic, we literally could do a full episode on if we wanted to, and maybe we will. For everyone listening, consider this like a brief overview of our thoughts and stuff. And legal disclaimer, these are just our opinions. We're not trying to defame any companies or talk about the legality of this. But basically, on a high concept level, right to repair is a discussion of, if you buy a device or something, do you as a consumer have the right to repair? Pair it with an independent shop the right to do whatever you want with it or can the company moderate that? So just to give a tangible example, if you have an iPhone, you can buy AppleCare and if something happens to the device, you can go to an Apple store or send it into Apple and they'll fix the device for you, either for free depending on what it is or a lesser fee because you bought AppleCare or you can go to a independent person that is part of the Apple certified program where they can also fix the device for you and Apple gives them the parts, et cetera. And both of these things would not like void your warranty or make the phone like not an iPhone In terms of resale value, or you can go to a third party that does not have the certification from Apple, and anything that they do will be different than Apple, and it would maybe void your warranty with Apple if they looked at the device or if you had some other issue with it. So, question is here with these Apple certifications, the amount of different repairs that they can do are super limited. Like they could do a battery repair or a screen repair, but there's not much else that they can do. Whereas with these independent places, they can do like a motherboard replacement and they're able to do a lot of other types of repairs that you would have to go directly to Apple for. So they create a cheaper option for the consumer. And the thing in the news has really just been like, is Apple or other companies creating unfair business environment where it's hard for consumers to get a good deal on their device and it's hard for companies to break into the repair niche. That's kind of what the general discussion has been.
0: When it comes to the actual entire thing behind Right to Repair, so I'm fairly new to this as well. And one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting was, so I know when I had a, I believe it was the iPhone 6, it's the only time I've actually ever broken my phone. I remember I dropped it and it shattered. It was a gut-wrenching moment. I I was so sad. But I remember I went in and this is after like Touch ID had been announced. So I tried getting my screen replaced and I remember I went to the flea market because I didn't want to pay $120 to Apple. So I go to the flea market, guy charges me 40 bucks. He says 40 bucks, but he says, odds are your Touch ID isn't going to work after this. And I was like, what? Mm. And he's like, yeah. So he's like, the way that it works is that Apple doesn't actually let you unless you have specific tools. Because he was like, these guys were buying like third-party screens because Apple wouldn't sell them the, the actual screens, the actual product. So you put these aftermarket screens on them and then boom, your touch ID wouldn't work anymore because the sensor wouldn't work because the sensor wouldn't fit or something or the other. So I thought this was actually really interesting because I genuinely do believe like you should be able to repair whatever it is that you own yourself. I don't feel like anyone should have to pay money to a specific company to do anything other than to get The pieces. So I'm very much on this, like on this wave of like we should all be able to repair whatever we want.
1: And the counter for that, like what these companies are saying, Mm -hmm. is two different things. If you get it replaced, that part obviously isn't up to the standard of the company because they're not the one selling it. So does that create a problem where the phone is flammable? Does it create a problem where the phone overheats? There are safety factors. The other thing is, is it a privacy issue? If you give someone your phone, can they track your data and install malware? And it's like even though the device is yours, like you're still running the software of whatever company you have and that could create problems for the company. I know that in Marquez's video about this, he was talking about a tractor company. If a part breaks on your tractor, you can't do anything in the software. Like they lock you out. It's because like they feel like they still own the software, even though you own the hardware. It's definitely a really complicated issue. Obviously, the Right to Repair Act is an act in certain states. And then there obviously are like constant conversations about it. This is just a general brief overview. Obviously, again, these are just our opinions. But if you want like a more dedicated episode about this, honestly, dark. I feel like we could do like even 20 minutes about this. Yeah. So maybe we will. Let us know on Twitter at Digital Dive Pod. Darsh, do you have any like closing statements on this before we move on to the final topic of this week?
0: Yeah, I just want to say like to anyone else who's like me out there, like who doesn't really like to buy new things, would rather just try to figure out how to fix things themselves, like tweet at me. Let me know. I want to see if I'm in the majority on this because honestly, when it comes to like my computer, for example, I know that if it is too dusty on the inside, it's going to slow down and I would rather just get a screwdriver kit myself than get compressed air and just kind of clean through the... Inside myself just to make my computer last longer. I would also like to do the same thing with the keyboard once every while. I would get compressed air and I'll just clean out the keyboard because I know that these are issues that occur. And I know that I have the knowledge and the somewhat of an understanding to kind of figure it out and fix it myself. So I prefer to do a lot of the fixes on my own before I ever go to tech support. Maybe this is just me, but I imagine for a lot of the techie people who do listen to this podcast, you guys are somewhat of the same. So tweet at us at digital once again. Also make sure to follow us for Twitter Spaces, which we are going to be trying to do more consistently so we can actually talk to you guys. Guys, one on one, which would be awesome. But one of the things that I actually think is super awesome that I'm going to include my stuff we like this week, just a really quick switch. This past week, I've been kind of just chilling. I've been trying to get more projects done. I've been incredibly busy when it comes to like work, but I've been taking a lot of time to kind of just recharge as well because I feel like this past school year has really did drain me. And I've been watching a ton of suits. It's like my seventh or eighth time watching the series. Wow. And I, I don't know what it was. It was like at three in the morning one night. I was just sitting down, wanting to watch something on Netflix, and I was just craving a Suits episode. And I just started binging it all over again. So I'll just kick off my stuff we like this week with Suits.
1: <laughs> Great one, yeah. I had the same thing happen with Modern Family. Obviously, like, TV can be an escape sometimes from like stress or just like mm-hmm. trying to calm down I it was like I want to watch something that I know is not going to have like any stress like I tend to get stressed out if like it's a horror movie or it's a drama like I really have to be in the mood for that and I just like threw on an episode of Modern Family and I've been binging that again I actually never watched the full thing totally through so it's kind of like my second time watching some episodes but my first time watching a lot of them so that's been really fun it's
0: really cool as well when you get to like rediscover an old show and you're like oh like, I forgot this happened but like I can recite every single line of it
1: yeah or I didn't get this joke when I was younger. Oh my
0: goodness. The amount of times. I kind of want to rewatch Cars because I saw a uh, TikTok talking about like the adult jokes in Disney movies and there was one in Cars that I really wanted to see. So it was just really interesting.
1: Oh, interesting. Really?
0: Mm -hmm. Like it was not not interesting, but it was kind of just like I would have never gotten that joke as a kid and now I'm older and I'm like, that's actually kind of funny. I can only imagine being a parent going into a theater and then like with your kid and showing them this movie and you're like, you fully get the joke, but you're staying quiet because you know the kid does not
1: That's funny. Yeah. Now we're like experiencing everything in a different way. Even How I Met Your Mother, which I watched when I was like 14, mm-hmm. I like understand a lot more now than I did back then.
0: Exactly. So one of the things that I did like this week as well, it's genuinely just sitting down and listening to music, like not any music in specific. I could tell you a couple of recommendations. Actually, you know what? I actually will do a recommendation. It's like the number one song on Billboard right now, but if you're living under a rock and you haven't heard it, like I really like it. I believe it's like a hit top charts. It's called I Did It with Post Malone, Megan Thee Stallion, Little Baby and Baby. It's like from DJ Khaled's new album. That song and Catch Me Outside by B. Young. Catch Me Outside by B. Young is, is, I don't know how popular the song is. I just found it in a Spotify playlist, but it was just genuinely really, really cool. And again, if you guys want this kind of playlists, let me know because we will make one for the Digital Dive fam and we will let you guys know what kind of stuff we're listening to.
1: Yeah, dude, I actually just got verified on Spotify. No
0: way, that's sick.
1: Yeah, part of it was like creating a collaborative playlist where people that like follow me can add stuff. And it's been super like fun to listen to people from the audience, like their music taste. So I definitely would love to do that for Digital Dive as well.
0: Definitely. I think that'd be awesome. Anyone else who agrees with us on that, let us know. I think it could be really, really awesome. And I just literally just followed you on uh, Spotify as well. No
1: way. (laughs) Thank you. My next one for this week and probably my last one is that I'm Starting to learn piano. I won't give another update on this for the podcast for a few months because I actually like want to try to get good before I put it out into the world. But I've been trying to learn, and it's actually been super fun. Like I tried to learn guitar last year, and I'm still kind of doing it, but not as much. I want to get back to it, but I like fell in love with piano instantly in a way that I just didn't with guitar. So it's been a lot of fun to like learn songs that I've been listening to and kind of just start playing that.
0: That's honestly that's really dope. I remember I actually used to take guitar and piano lessons as a kid. Oh
1: no way, actually. Yeah,
0: I did. I did a couple years of piano, and then I followed that with like two years of guitar, like acoustic guitar, they're both very hard instruments. And the fact that you've, you've been like practicing and like trying to teach yourself, like it's honestly incredible. So huge kudos goes out to you there.
1: Thank you. Wait, do you still play?
0: No, like through quarantine, I've, I have an acoustic guitar sitting in my room. I stole my brother's a couple months ago and he just never asked for it back. And I tried to myself a couple of things, like trying to just pick it up again. I learned a lot more classical stuff when I was learning at the time. Now I want to learn like more generic songs. Like I've become a pretty big Kid Leroy fan. So I tried learning the song So Done. I tried learning that on guitar. Like, like I try to learn stuff like that or riffs because my, uh, roommates do the same. So it's kind of cool in that sense. I get to hear what like them trying to do. And then I can try to teach myself in like a different way or through like a different video. It's, it's cool. And I guess that's actually what I would say for stuff we like this week. Something that I like is the fact that I've been seeing you work on your music so much. I think it's honestly Ooh. really really <laughs> fantastic. And I, I think it's really cool that you're doing that. Thank you. And anyone else who thinks you doing amazing with that as well, Twitter at Jacqueline or tweet us at Digital Pod. You know what? Also, while you're there, drop a five-star review because you know what? It's the end of the episode, guys. I want to let you guys know how much we appreciate you. This
1: was... So impressive. I cannot believe you just transitioned up that well.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, I really appreciate everyone who's listening right now. And if you guys appreciate this episode, please make sure to drop a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It means a ton. We read every single one of them. But also, huge thank you to Adil Constantine for our intro and outro music. Adil, man, you killed it. As well as Luke Fabricatori, our dear friend and editor, who has been killing it, crushing it with these episodes. But with that in mind, just for Luke's sake, I think we're going to end it off here. Jacqueline, any final words for our crowd?
1: Thank you guys so much for listening to this one. We'll catch you next week. 7. AM Central, 8 AM Eastern. All right, guys. See you then. Have a good one.